Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of Career Focus. Today I sit down with Doug Thompson, a best-selling author and TEDx speaker about the ability to tell an effective story. We talk about different situations when you would tell a story. So how to do it if you're with your friends on a weekend compared to with coworkers on a Monday and what the differences and similarities look like, especially as you tailor that story for a particular audience. If you're anything like me, you're at least half introverted. So storytelling probably doesn't come to you naturally, but through practice and paying attention to other storytellers, you can develop that as a skill. And even if you're not into the idea of telling good stories, we all could benefit from it. So we cover ways to build your confidence. So when that opportunity is there, you can hone that skill. Ultimately, this ties into the ability to build relationships. So if you're someone that is on the job hunt, someone that's making new friends or building connections, or if you're someone that has to give a presentation next week, listening to today's episode is going to help you tell an effective story and build the confidence so that you can be a good storyteller going forward. Hope you all enjoy. Thanks for listening. Doug, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome to Career Focus. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. Absolutely. You and I crossed paths a few years ago when I was working at McCombs at the University of Texas and uh, you were on the advisory council there. So how's life treating you these days? Well, life's treating me well. I mean, I just came off before we came here, a book launch party, which is something I never thought I'd do. We could talk about that later, but the universe gives you signs and you just got to keep your eyes open to those things and take advantage of them when you can. Definitely. Tell me a little bit about just your background and help any listeners or viewers out there learn more about your story. Sure. I mean, when I went to college, I, you when I graduated high school, my dad had died when I was a senior in high school. And the guidance counselor's office was something that I passed by that I didn't really know what it did. So I went to school just to sort of figure, okay, look, let's go for a semester, figure out what we want. Then you, you went to college. That's what you did back in those days. And I took economics and then I found out I didn't have to go to class. So I didn't. And that first semester I was on probation, let's just say it. I wasn't the stellar student. And then I what I might do geology because I was in East Texas, oil was big, uh, then oil busted and not so much. Um, but I, I found out I followed most of my career things that I really like to do that are engage my curiosity. So I got into electronics at the time and again, it was an oil bust. So I ended up working on copiers, not very electronic thing, but a guy in town was starting a company and needed a technician. So I said, okay, cool. So I did that for a while. Then this was for Panasonic at the time. They were looking for a regional rep. You'll see a theme here is, is I will do things a long time. This is the fourth company I've worked for in my career, and I'm getting close to that retirement age. And what I've done is stayed in roles too long, eventually, because I was having fun. I was still growing, but I, there wasn't a plan. I, I didn't necessarily have a plan to go do this. So it was very much something that interests me. I'd go sort of learn something about it, go sort of take off in those areas. And that led me to sort of in my last job at Microsoft as an AI ambassador because nobody really knew what it was and nobody wanted to touch it. I said, hey, this is some pretty cool stuff. So let's go ahead and dig in and do that. So Curiosity has sort of been through my career. I, I guess spent 11 years at Panasonic before I came to Microsoft. I was a contract trainer doing some stuff on the side. Again, I'm a nerd. So I was building computers and networks and stuff and teaching it. And an opportunity came up to go do this roadshow for at the time it's called system builders that's the little one mom and pop shops that would build these white box computers and they had literally hundred thousand of them probably around the u.s around the world and they were talking about windows me if you remember that and windows 2000 
and we did this road show and I just got to be on stage and I really, I like this, I really dig this piece up. Anyway, a few months after that road show went over, the, the guy that led it said, Hey, look, there's a job here. You ought to interview for us. So I interviewed. I was happy doing what I was doing, but an opportunity came over at Microsoft. It was more of a lateral move, but I said, Hey, this sounds interesting. Got a lot more upside. So I did that. I was in the OEM division for like nine years and I was, then I went to education team where that's where we met eventually in, in tech sales and did that for 11 before I came to my current company here at Tanium, where I did that last for the last three years. But it, it's been sort of a vision. I found out that you learn something with your, over your career is not necessarily what you're good at, but what gives you energy. I, I found that's to be the best indicator of if the job is a good fit for you, right? It's not, no job, every job's got a little bit of baggage with it, whether it's reporting, whatever that goes along with it. But if, if you really enjoy going to work, you get energized, you, it gives you more energy than it takes away. That's a good job. That's mm-hmm. one, that's a really good thing to look at. And I was really good at talking with customers. I was really good at the, being tip of the spear, solving those hard technical challenges with our technology, but doing it in a way where I wasn't explaining ones and zeros. Now, everybody at McCombs, it was sort of funny when I was invited to go out and speak. I think you actually did it. You sent me all these resumes and stuff of all the people that were there in the program. And I'm like, holy crap, I can't teach these people anything. I have to look up every third word, <laughs> right? I mean, these guys are just really bright. And I got to thinking about, well, there is things that I can do is teach them how to tell stories. How do they relate that smartness and that intelligence to normal people? What I would call normal people, but somebody that doesn't have that background. Mm-hmm. So when you're out there in technical sales, you're not necessarily talking to the people that, that use it. You're talking to a business owner that has a problem they need to solve. And how do I explain that? So going back to pulling on that storytelling skill that I developed over time unintentionally, I was always sort of attracted to stories. I loved reading when I was a kid, Hardy Boys, things like that, then moved on to Tom Clancy, a little bit more advanced one. But I like the way that it conveyed information. And that's just sort of stuck with me. And so I've used that throughout my career hosting podcasts now well like you it's all about telling stories asking good questions half of storytelling when you're talking to somebody is asking them questions and sort of setting the stage mm-hmm. getting out and those type of things so it's listening as much as it is talking actually more so when you look back at your career and realized hey i really like talking to customers i've got communication skills what were some of the elements that you felt you brought to the table when working with customers that made you a potentially good storyteller? It was more of, there's a connection that happened. And if you're a good storyteller, there's a connection between you and your audience. So I learned to hone storytelling skills in, in very sometimes hostile environments. You know, somebody's copier's broken, they're pretty pissed off. It's <laughs> not a good day. You've been there before, the copier doesn't work mm-hmm. and you need it. And but you have to be able to explain, go in and fix it or whatever, right? So part of it is using your logic part of my brain to understand what the problem is and then knowing that they won't understand all that. But how do I explain it to them? Because really they just want to sort of feel involved and part of what is going on. So I learned to get better. Okay, that didn't land so well. And if you're observant when you're conversing with people, it's conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's how do you connect with people? On their level where they're at, that's one of my storytelling tips that actually the first one is what's their frame of reference? So when I would go talk to the students at McCombs, it was very much from a, hey, look, you've been in this environment where you've had a syllabus. You know what it means. You know how to exactly be successful because you have the syllabus there. You get out to the career. There is no syllabus. That was sort of the talk that I used to do with you guys. The career has no syllabus. 
how do you navigate that then from an environment you've been in all this time, you're successful to one that doesn't have these rules, right? How do you sort of make that change? So that's, you just have to be sort of in tune to what's going on. Listen a lot more than you talk and seeing what's work is trying different things mm -hmm. and, and ditching the things that don't mm -hmm. as fast as you can. Yeah. I think that's interesting. You mentioned all of those things in my previous episodes. I've talked about relationship building, networking, and building confidence. And you, the first thing you mentioned was that sometimes the best conversationalists are the folks that are the best listeners. And I think hearing from someone that you're connecting with, whether it's an audience or it's a boss, or it's just a new connection or friendly face, hearing their problems, hearing their stories, empathizing with what's happening in their world really equips you with more knowledge that's going to help you articulate a good story to connect with them. So I love that. Or find a new product that needs to be developed. Again, you're listening. They're telling you what they need. A lot of times they will tell that if you listen. And, and, and what I run into with a lot of very smart technical people is they would come in with a preconserved thing of, well, this is what you need, regardless, it's not necessarily one size fits all, but they've solved this problem the best way that they possibly could. And this happened when we were doing Windows and stuff back at Microsoft. We would put in really smart people. This is what you need in your PC. And that wasn't necessarily true, right? So when you start listening to customers to build products, to build whatever, then they will tell you what they need. And it's your way to, okay, how do I address it? And how do I, if I'm them, how would I use it? Sometimes you have to let the customer be right, even though it's not optimal. Mm -hmm. That's the way they want to use it. Okay, that's the way we'll design it. Definitely, definitely. And I think if you're a salesperson, you have to identify your solutions sometimes before you hear other people's needs. So that mm -hmm. way you have knowledge about your product and what you might be selling. But if you're a non-salesperson, let's say you're just connecting with a supervisor or a teammate or someone that's got experience mm -hmm. or insight to something that you're not familiar with, it's okay to ask, to, to backtrack and ask them things that they know about something that you're not familiar with. Because as you can continue to gain information and build your own knowledge about something, then you can more effectively articulate it to address someone else's needs. I do that in my role. I'm relatively new to it. I've been doing it for a little bit over a year. And there are times when I'm trying to solve a really complex problem. And when I'm tasked with offering a solution, I have to be confident in telling my leadership that, hey, I, you know, I've never really thought about it this way before. I'm willing to, but help me address some of the problems or needs that I'm trying to support so that the solution that I suggest down the road aligns with what we need versus just trying something and seeing if it sticks. Sometimes that's the best way too, but um, a lot of times the more information you can gather, whether it's listening, chatting with other people that know something or reading, doing research or trying things privately and then bringing them to other people, I think is a good way as well. Yeah. And I think when you're talking solutions, a lot of time when I get out, people are different stages. So even though I've got the perfect solution is the way I think about it from my frame of mind, maybe five steps from where they're at. So how can you incrementally take steps forward on that path to get to where you want? So like when I get into a digital transformation discussion, I like, okay, we're doing an envisioning session. There are no rules. There are no budget, nothing, everything's in, is available. What does this look like in five years? Right. So I, I take off all the shackles that people sort of go into a design with the things that they're burdened with today, the limitations they have today, which limits what's possible in the future. Right. So you have to sort of start with this again, a perfect world. Here's where we would be. Okay, great. Now realizing we live in the real world, let's start layering on the limitations that you have. Right. And, and like, is it uh, regulations? Right. Those are usually non-negotiable regulations. Okay, fine. This is fine. 
Now, when they start doing other things that are process oriented, I make them justify it. You know, say, why? Why do you need to do this? And usually a lot of times you'll get down to, well, we've always done it that way, but that's not a reason. Next, next. <laughs> right? Because they start putting their limitations on it based off what they know <laughs> rather than where they could go. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I put in is budget. And just simply because, again, budget is something everybody likes to throw out first. I said, look, we're designing this thing. And what we're going to do is the very first step is with the budget that we have, what's one step or two steps we can take towards that nirvana we just described, mm-hmm. right? Realizing that we couldn't do it all at once. And by, by the way, if you tried to do it all at once, it would be a miserable failure because that's just too much change. This way you can sort of incrementally go. And you also have to change the culture more than you do the process and procedures because, again, culture leads. It, it can, what's it, Peter Drucker, he's credited with it. But that, that thing about culture eats strategy for breakfast. But all along those ways, there's stories to be told. And there's different stories to be told. So like if I'm a CEO, I've got a different story. This is a very high level, very big picture-ish type thing that I'm telling. And then as you get down towards the groups, the closer you get in, the more um, narrow the story becomes, the more relevant it becomes to just simply that little group that has to do it, rather than this big strategy guiding light type thing of which we're all going to try to go to. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really important key, trying to empathize and put yourself in the shoes of your audience. Your audience is an executive or someone that maybe is a different generation of you or has a different life or lifestyle in some way. Sometimes it's the opposite sex. So you have to men mm-hmm. to understand what women need and vice versa. Uh, that's just an example. So you and I, so far, we've talked a little bit about the importance of steli- st- storytelling at work. Do you feel like outside of work, you are also a quality storyteller? And is that something that has always come naturally? Is that something you've thought about and had to work at? Yeah, it's sort of funny. So, so I went back to a high school reunion. I won't tell you how many decades that is. We didn't have an abacus then. We actually had TI-87 or something <laughs> at the time. But there we had some memorabilia books and stuff that came back from when we graduated. And one of the pieces there was that we had excuse slips, tardy slips. And I had, I was looking at one. And I recognized the band. I was like, what? That, that looked, what is that? And I saw my name at the bottom. And I'm like, Did I, write? I, I read it says, I was tardy because I, I, a Coke truck dropped all those Cokes on the freeway and blocked traffic. Now, I'm glad I didn't have Twitter or anything like that back in the day because clearly that was not true, but I was telling a story back then. They got approved. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. So if, upon reflection, I've been telling stories for a long time. Mm-hmm. But again, was it something that I consciously set out to do? But because I like them, I just sort of fell to them. I was drawn to them. Now, what I will say is everybody's better at telling stories outside of work to their friends than they are at work. So, so just because you may be good, if you're good at it at work, you're great at it with your friends, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because what a lot of people do is they'll change that conversation. Now, again, the language that you use and, and sort of the, the formality that you may have has to change a little bit for the workplace by and large. But thinking about the different tools that you use when you're telling a story to your friends, because you're relating, they have that frame of reference because you lived in that frame of reference. Mm -hmm. So that actually makes that part a little bit easier. So to at work, you then have to sort of turn it on and be attuned to what, as you mentioned earlier, the coworker or whatever, Mm -hmm. what's their frame of reference, what's their experiences Mm -hmm. to go. So it takes more active thought at work than it does when you're talking to your friends because you've lived the same experiences and you know where they're at. That's a good point. I I like the way that you articulated that. I think what's more and more common now too is that a lot of people want more of a conversational tone at work than before. At least that's been in my experience 
when I started, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, I'm self-aware enough to know that when I started out my career, I was really rigid. I was super polished and I was very formal and I was just buttoned up all the time and people didn't really want to work with me. And then I sometimes had to learn things the hard way where you don't have to be super polished, but you can't be unprofessional. You can't insult anyone. You can't be offensive. But at the same time, we're all human beings. Work is generally a similar experience for every, everyone. That's why they, we all call it work. So we want to be a little bit normal too. But I agree with you. Some folks probably are a little more natural with that ability than others, but that doesn't make it any less important depending on your role or depending on where you're at in your career. Um, Doug, can you talk a little bit about, if you're someone that maybe isn't a natural storyteller, ways that they can build their confidence to tell more effective stories, even if it's not in the workplace? Yeah, part of it, I would go back to the story that they're telling themselves because they're probably sitting there as I'm a horrible story storyteller. And it, like Henry Ford says, if you think you can, you think you can't, you're right. That's the TED talk that I did. The most important story you tell starts inside. That story that you tell yourself, what do you believe? That's where it starts. If you can get that story turned in the right direction where I, I am a good storyteller, you don't have to be great or anything. I mean, you, but you truly believe that you are then what that enables you to do is start seeing the opportunities to learn more about stories and the different things. It's like you pull a blinder off, right? Or it's, it's the red car syndrome. Like you, you just bought this new car, red car that you hadn't seen before. Now they're everywhere, mm -hmm. right? Because you're sort of attuned to look for them. So getting that internal story right first is very important before you do anything else, mm -hmm. right? You know, in, in the TED talk that I did, I have this, what I call it, it's an inner bully. It's your subconscious and it's really designed to keep you safe. So it has good intentions. And originally it was designed to keep you safe from the bear or the dinosaur or what have you, right? You had to go for flight or flight. It was there to protect you. But now it's, it's bored because we don't have that many dinosaurs chasing us anymore. So it has to invent things to be worried about, to be scared of, to protect you from. And one of it is that imposter syndrome, what have you. I can't do this. I can't do that because you can't, it could be dangerous, right? But danger to that is maybe getting laughed at. Or, or maybe like you learned in your career there where you had to be sort of a little bit less rigid, right? You went through that. And so I, I give it a name because I always find that if I give something a name, it's a little bit easier to deal with it rather than this nebulous thing I don't know. I call mine Simon. And if you've ever watched American Idol, you'll know who he, he has a British yeah, accent. Simon Cal. Pretty rude. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, he, and your subconscious will tell you stuff you would never dream of telling a friend or anybody, right? I mean, because it's just really cruel. So getting that turned in the right direction. And I actually asked mine now to prove it. When they says, I can't do something, I said, prove it. Where's your proof? And 99.9% .9 of the time, they can't give me any proof. Mm -hmm. So I put it in a timeout. We go on and <laughs> go do things. So let's assume we've got that part conquered. But this is something you'll never, it's never conquered. It's managed. Mm -hmm. Because I still have this thing that comes, Simon comes in every day, every now and then. And like for the book thing, just, oh, you can't write a book. You can't write more than two sentences, right? So I just, just shut up, just go away. Mm -hmm. And so once you get that manageable, then you can start looking at and look for other good storytellers and look for the stories that, so, so there's a little caveat, but look for the stories that you really like, that you connect with, or that your friends are connecting. What kind of stories are your friends telling? What kind of stories are your coworkers telling? I was always a fan of Steve Jobs. He was the best technical storyteller when he was presenting and stuff because who knew you needed 10,000 songs in your pocket, right? But he created this need or, or highlighted things that, again, we connect with. And it's because the brain's wired 
to learn from stories. Again, getting back to the prehistoric days where you had cave paintings and stuff, because our conscious mind only makes up a 10%. So we got limited RAM if we go back to computer analogies. And the bulk of that is either in short-term or long-term memory. And the subconscious sort of plays underneath all that and manages it behind the scene. That's like you're that's like you're a, a, a virtual assistant that's doing all this other stuff. So your 10% can keep it. This is important. I need to stay alive. And so that's where this is working all the time in the background. So that's why it's hard to get this working. And so, but once you do that, then it becomes easier. Then you can use that 10% to sort of look for these new things that are out there. I like watching comedians because there's a lot, especially if you have to get on stage or do something because they are the best storytellers in that in a very short time span, they can set the stage, they introduce the characters and they sort of, and they can manage it and they'll use illustration to make the story real, to connect with the audience. So, so those are really good things to look at, but you can also look at people like Martin Luther King was a great storyteller. Just watch people that do that. And that's the way that you can get better at it by watching other people taking what works for you. Don't try to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's a mistake I made once that time when I was about to go to Microsoft and I was doing that road shows, I'd spent all week trying to be what I, this person I call the professor. We had this one person that was in there. It's you got the patches on the coat, very polished, very not monotone, but just very controlled. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that style. And I tried to be that. And, and you've seen me enough. No, that's not happening. Yes. <laughs> that's not a natural fit for me. Mm -hmm. And my wife told me, Hey, look, you've got to be you, right? So my subconscious was saying, Hey, you got to be this other person. Um, because they were really good because you appreciated it. Mm -hmm. So I went back was myself. So I take bits and pieces from other people that fits with me. I'll massage it a little bit. I will make it mine sort of meld into that. Cause once you make it in yours, you're not trying to be somebody else you're taking something that you can appreciate. You can practice that skill, make it yours, put your own spin on it. That's when you start being really good at storytelling. Mm -hmm. I love that. Doug, one of the questions I like to ask is if you could look back at 20 year old you, what's something that that version of you would be proud to know about present day Doug? Yeah. I, and I've done some very big things that I never thought I would do coming from a small East Texas town, not really having a strategy, not doing anything. I got to see the Great Wall in China. I've got to travel around the world. I've gotten to write a book now who, who, who knew? to uh, work with companies that are billions of dollars of business. I get to see inside those things. I've met Bill Gates and all these other people. And... That I never would have thought somebody from a small town would have been able to do that. That was not my sights. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that I graduated with never left that town. We, we've also, not that it's a bad thing, but I got out and I did things that were just like, wow, you'd read about it in an encyclopedia or something, but never thought I would be on that journey. What's maybe a piece of advice you'd give to anyone that was unsure how to get there, how to accomplish things that they never really thought about before? Well, once you quite check your inner bully, see if they're limiting you, then what's going on. We're, we're, we're all on this road to mastery. There was a book, Tim Ferriss wrote a book called Tribe of Mentors who had a bunch of different tips from very influential and very well-known people. One of them was this guy, Terry Laughlin, who created this total immersion swimming and, and humans aren't supposed to be in the water. Our natural urge to get the hell out. You're supposed to get out. So we fight water and he, so he come to this program to help you not fight it. But what he said was that we're all on the road to mastery and we're all going to die before we get there. Now I add a little bit more flavor to it in that it's our job being on this road to ask for help from those that are in front of us 
and to give help those from that are behind us on the road that ask for help. And it doesn't matter if I'm, I don't know everything. Again, the whole thing is we're all going to die before we know everything. But if I'm one step or two steps ahead of somebody else, that's why I like the mentoring and being on a, an advisory council back at school is I was able to share some of that information with them that would help make them better again. So, so don't hesitate to ask, find some great mentors that you can reach out to find some people that you like. And you know, sometimes you got to pay for it. Sometimes it coaches or things that go do that, but don't be afraid to ask and again, conquer that inner bully. So that's the two biggest tips that I would have is search out those people that are really good that you admire and, and all and see if you can connect with them, see if you can do something. But as I'd always advise the students when I was out there, be prepared to give them something else in return for the time that they invest in you. It's not a one-way street. It needs to be a two-way street. And I always liked it. Again, I met some very bright people back there that to this day, I learned things from them. I call it reverse mentoring and that they taught me things about generational things and all that. So just always be learning everything, everything and find out those people that are smarter than you and ask them. I love that. Such great advice. And Doug, you have such an interesting story to tell. Loved diving into and unpacking some of that with you. Tell us more just a little bit about what's keeping you busy these days. So I got my day gig working at Tanium. I am I'm the podcast host. I just finished a bunch of voices, voiceovers and demos that I'm the voice of that now. Again, something the 20 year old never would have thought of. But I just having fun. I get to be in front of customers. I get to help solve some really, really hairy problems. But then on the side gig is I'm starting getting out and doing some keynote speaking because, again, I really like sharing this message out with people, be it universities, be it corporations, whatever. So if you've got a good stage and needs a good speaker, hit me up for that. I've got my podcast going on that I interview great people, much like what you do. And then I just, I'm a best-selling author. So maybe there's another book in the future. So you can reach out to me. I'm a D. Doug Thompson just about everywhere. DDougThompson.com is my page. Connect with me on LinkedIn. If you got that, I love meeting new connections. Just say that Dan sent me or you heard about it here and let's have a conversation. Well, Doug, that sounds great. You've got so much going on that's going so well for you. Congratulations on the new book too. Really exciting. Excited to see where it goes and just stay in touch. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Dan.